and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame, Notre Dame fan. Man, I'm getting tongue, tongue twisted after all these previews, Mike. Mike, first question, uh, is this year's, is this Florida State's year to win the ACC Atlantic? Is Miami back? Oh, man. See, that's, that's the follow-up, you know? I like the, uh. Answer the question with a question. Uh, That's a yes. technique. Now I'll answer it with an answer. Yes, this is their year to win the Atlantic, I think. Whew. How's that for I'm en- down. I'm, enthusiasm yeah. and being sure of yourself? I'm Go Seminoles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a couple years, but um, I think we've, we've been pretty honest with all these other previews. We're, we're talking about the Knolls tonight, Mike. Talking about the Knolls and um, – yeah, there's a lot of a lot of people favoring Florida State to win the Atlantic this fall, and uh, I think you and I are two of them. We are, and with that being said, what is one reason why Florida State will not win the Atlantic? That's a great question. Um, I I think my biggest concern about Florida State would probably be depth at quarterback. Um, basically, after DeAndre Francois, there is nothing. Um, and, I mean, sure, there's – some talent there, but DeAndre Francois is, is by far the most talented, you know, and, and capable guy on that offense. Even with a lot of skill talent coming in, especially at running back, wide receiver, you know, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I, I mean, maybe if you find a situation where DeAndre Francois gets injured and you can't really figure out the quarterback situation from there, I could see that being a thing, especially with, you know, some of the offensive line struggles they had last year and how much. Uh, Francois was just taking a beating at times during the year. You know, maybe he's not able to last. I mean, I don't know. We'll have to see. But if I had to give you one reason that they won't win the Atlantic, I think that's it, is the the lack of a plan B at quarterback if something doesn't go right with Francois. I guess for me it would be the offensive line um, struggling once again like it did last year. So... Florida State's offense was predicated on running the football and opening up the pass for DeAndre Francois. Last year, they had Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, of course, goes to the Minnesota Vikings, and he's going to be targeted in everybody's fantasy football league. And why is that? It's not only because he's great at running the ball, but he was great at catching the pass out of the backfield and being that safety valve for DeAndre Francois when he faced an incredible rush because his offensive line couldn't block anybody. I could see that being a problem once again this year for Florida State uh, when talking about the offensive line. This is a team, if you think about Joey, specifically on the offensive side of the football, that really never figured it out last year. Could never really protect DeAndre Francois. Um, Over 500 yards rushing for Francois last year. You and I were talking about this right before we hit record. A lot of it was because he was running for his life um, and was able to make something out of nothing. It, you know, Let's call it the Lamar Jackson factor because that's basically what it was. And we even saw it on the last drive there uh, in the bowl game when you know Florida State is going down the field to beat Michigan. Francois is getting absolutely killed. The entirety of that final drive hangs in there, makes a couple huge passes, including the one touchdown pass to beat Michigan in the bowl game. And that was just kind of a symptom of a larger problem uh, over the course of the season for Florida State. They could never really keep DeAndre Francois upright. And my concern for Florida State is now you have Dalvin Cook out of the fold. That safety valve out of the backfield is gone. So now you're relying on a couple of younger guys to step in. Jacques Patrick, who's been in the mix, he's 
moving to his junior year now, it's kind of hard to believe. We've been talking about him for a few years, it seems like. Um, and time and time again, we're like, okay, this is the year Patrick breaks out. This is the year he breaks out. And he's just kind of been hanging around behind Dalvin Cook. Well, he's primed for a bigger role, but everybody wants to talk about the top recruit from the 2017 class in Cam Akers. And Akers, the top running back at his position, Obviously, because he plays running back. That was a really stupid statement I just made. Top running back in the country um, for a 2017 class, and you're expecting him to come in and almost entirely fill the shoes of a guy like Dalvin Cook, which I think is a tough ask. So you got the offensive line issues. you got to find a way to run the ball with Patrick and Akers. One of those two running backs has to be the safety valve for Francois coming out of the backfield to become one of those um, additional receivers and kind of a safety net when the when the rush becomes too cumbersome for Francois and he has to dump the ball off. You know, I think those are the things you worry about with Florida State because across the board they're stacked, but I think if there's one concern you have, I think it is the offensive line. And if the offensive line can't keep Francois upright and he gets knocked out, they don't really have the depth or talent at quarterback at least right away to come in and replace Francois. That's a recipe for Florida State to end up not winning the Atlantic this year. So I think that's the long-winded answer to the question. I'll give you one more reason, Mike, and it's it's a very simple one. The annual Clemson game is on the road in Death Valley. We don't know how good Clemson might still be, even in the post-Deshaun Watson era. And with all the guys they've lost, maybe they were able to effectively replace them and Frankly, if, if Florida State goes seven and one in the in the ACC and they lose to Clemson, there's some chance that Clemson goes seven and one too and wins a tiebreaker and goes to to Charlotte anyways. So having that game on the road and just that game on the schedule in general is, is always going to be uh, a bit treacherous for the Seminoles as well in terms of their chances of winning the Atlantic. Offensive line better be ready for that front seven. Who they better be, and luckily it's late in the year, so hopefully they got something going. But if they got injury issues like they did last year, then man, good luck, good luck, Jordan Francois. You're gonna need it, and uh, I hope you got a lot of ibuprofen around. But uh, Mike, let's talk a little more about the offense and, and about Francois in particular. So he's a guy that has a lot of hype around him. He's a very talented guy. He was second on the team in rushing. He threw the ball pretty well, we thought, but. Some of the things looking at it is stat line last year. DeAndre Francois threw seven picks. He completed a little less than 59% of his passes, and he got sacked 34 times, almost an 8% sack rate, which is not good uh, last year. Despite all of that, Florida State still had some success. But do you think those are indicative that there's some chance that Francois might actually turn into a bust or at least be up for a sophomore slump? Or do you think those are just, you know – kind of a a, uh, a product of the team around him, and they'll get improved as they improve? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I think some of this is a product of him being a freshman, holding on to the ball too long, um, and taking some of those sacks. I think the other part of it is what we just mentioned with the offensive line issues. I don't think he's up for a sophomore slump. Um, I do think the completion percentage will go up. He only threw seven interceptions last year. I think that's the most encouraging stat as a redshirt freshman in your first college action to really only throw seven picks over the course of the entire season. And you think about the defenses he played last year. He played Ole Miss. He played Michigan. He played Clemson. He played Louisville. Uh, You know, he played defenses that were worth something in the ACC last year. 
Um, not to mention Boston College, who never gets any credit because their offense is so damn bad. Um, you know, Francois faced a bunch of good defenses last year in the ACC and in the non-conference schedule. He only threw seven picks. The 59% completion percentage is a little bit underwhelming. You'd like to see that go up a little bit. The 34 sacks, product of the fact that maybe he was holding on to the ball a little bit too long, but also the offensive line struggling to protect him as well. Um, I don't think he's going to turn into a bust. I think he has too much talent, and the pedigree is there. I don't think he's in for a sophomore slump. I think he should be in good shape there. Um, but I, I think it is going to be a product of the offense around him as well. I mean, I, I think they do need to give him some support. And, you know, he's not immune to he's not immune to making mistakes, but I, I think the fact that he didn't throw many interceptions last year is the one encouraging sign when looking at Francois. I think if you if you do see a sophomore slump, so to speak, from Francois, I think what it comes from is probably some combination of those offensive line woes where he might get to a point where psychologically he just can't get comfortable in the pocket. I think that's a very real risk here. You know, if, if they can't figure things out and get him better protection, I think there's a combination of that as well as losing his top four targets, Travis Rudolph, Bobo Wilson, Kermit Whitfield, Dalvin cook, his top four pass catchers all gone this year. Um, and so some, maybe a lack of comfort with his receivers combined with maybe potential issues with the offensive line or maybe what could cause a sophomore slump from Francois. I don't, I don't see there's any chance that he actually turns into a total bust, though. Um, I think he is too talented. Again, his, his mobility and in his toughness and just some of his general arm talent. I mean, what you saw him do as a true freshman was, was really impressive. And so um, I, I don't expect that, but... Again, we've got a lot of personnel changing around him, Mike, so anything is possible. So we talked a little bit about this already, and he's going to need the support of his teammates, right? And and he's going to need the support of the running game specifically. So how big of a loss do you think Dalvin Cook is? Um, it's really easy to just say, yeah, it's a huge loss. And it's also equally as easy to say, oh, they have Cam Akers coming in, they're going to be fine, but... I think that's really just scratching the surface of the conversation. I mean, the, I think the fact that they they have Jockins Patrick's a good thing, but I think the one thing you worry about with Patrick is that he hasn't really seized the moment as the running back over the course of his time in Tallahassee. Some of that is because he was playing behind Dalvin Cook, but some of it was also because of his inconsistency and the fact that he wasn't able to keep himself on the field. So you have Patrick there as a little bit of, of the veteran leadership aspect and a safety valve, so to speak. But then you have Cam Akers as a true freshman. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of weight being put on his shoulders because Florida State's ready to compete now. But, you know, how big of a loss do you think Dalvin Cook is? And do you think more people should be talking about Cook and the fact that he's no longer in the fold and no longer going to be on the team this year? You know, one of the things that I've I've figured out over time is that Playing running back is a little. There's a little more of a of a delicate, you know, sort of. Um, there's some some details in there, some some finer points of playing running back that don't always meet the eye. You know, a lot of people think of running back as who's fast and who can plunge into the line and who can you know get into space, and it's it's a really simple thing to do. But realistically, running back can be a very complicated position, especially in like a pro style system like Jimbo Fisher runs. 
And I think that some of Dalvin's cook, Dalvin Cook's, not only his physical ability, his ability to run past people and juke people and run through people, but also his knowledge of some of those finer points of playing running back were part of what really made him special. And so I, I, I want to make sure that we're not understating, like you said, I mean, we can't understate how, how good he was and all the different things that he was able to add to the team. Not, you know, can't forget either that how much he did for this team all while, you know, mildly injured. He, he really wasn't healthy for the last two years for the most part. And the things that he was pulling off while injured were just that much more amazing when you take that into consideration. Um, as for what these guys can bring to the table, Cam Akers, everything you're hearing about him, I mean, he sounds like the second coming. I mean, he is the next Leonard Fournette, Adrian Peterson type. Um, maybe not quite that big. I mean, 5'11", 215, but he is fast. He is, is able to do it all. Going to be really curious to see what he does out of the gate. Um, I, I think as a true freshman, maybe you still kind of keep the uh, keep the, the training wheels on a little bit and don't ask him to do too much, especially right out the gate with some tough competition early in the year. But ultimately, I mean, I think that this unit is able to give you some semblance of what you got from Dalvin Cook and combine that with DeAndre Francois's mobility and maybe his improving abilities as a passer and, and I still think that this offense is going to be able to be potent and run the ball pretty willingly it's just uh, it's more a matter of are they able to break you know three five seven yard runs into 15 30 50 yard runs you know the way that Dalvin Cook showed his ability to do so I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little uneasy about having a true freshman running back, you know, and trying to put the world's expectations on him. But man, Cam Akers looks like something special, Mike. And he's going to be running through the holes made by the offensive line that's replacing three starters. And uh, is that a bad thing? I, you know, it doesn't seem like it is. <laughs> After watching some of their games last year, uh, doesn't seem like it could be a bad thing replacing some of those guys there on the offensive line. Yeah, there's a couple guys that got some postseason accolades. Uh, Roderick Johnson, in particular, was an All-American last year. Last very tackle. good player. Very, very good player. Yes, very, very good. He's leaving. Overall, the Seminoles have to replace, like you said, three of their starting offensive linemen, You know, some of their most experienced guys, but... I think some of the good news is, first of all, this unit was not particularly effective last year in a lot of cases, as we've mentioned, all the toughness from Francois and such is made necessary by a unit that wasn't able to give him a ton of protection in a lot of cases. Um, I think the other thing that plays in here is that, unlike a lot of schools that look to replace guys in the offensive line, Florida State is actually able to do so with guys that have several starts under their belts. Um, they returned two starters from last year, uh, but... Of guys that they returned, several of them you know, returned 13 starts, 7, 7, 6, 2, and 3. So it's not like these guys are just totally green and have never played before. It's you know guys that have some experience starting, that have plenty of physical ability. Um, some very, very talented players are, are waiting in the wings to take over here. It's going to be more a matter of if they can have some continuity, you know, keep the same group on the field for a lot of the year, uh, maybe you know patch up some of the holes that they were they were seeing last year and ultimately I mean I don't think it's the worst thing I, I think it sucks to lose a Roderick Johnson type you know who is as good as he is but ultimately otherwise you know getting a little bit of, of fresh blood in there and guys that are able to um, maybe have a little more cohesion and and a little more health amongst them I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing Mike what do you think yeah I'm with you um 
<coughs> new faces, fresh blood in the mix uh, can't hurt, um, especially when considering how they've struggled um, protecting DeAndre Francois last year. Uh, I think hopefully they are able to do a little bit better in that regard this year. Um, you know, I think when looking at this offensive line, I think it's a matter of taking the pressure off Francois. I think if you can do that both with the run game and, and in the pass game, um, this offensive line is going to be fine. Like you said, experience is not lost on these guys. There are a lot of guys in the mix who have been in the rotation over the last few seasons. Uh, you know, depth maybe pote- potentially becomes the issue on the offensive line now moving forward. But you hope that the guys that are stepping in, you know, can kind of fill the void of, of the guys that were in last year with the continuity factor, like you mentioned, Rod Johnson, and all, you know, all ACC player, all American type player on at offensive tackle. And that's the kind of guy you're going to have to replace. Then, you know, you need to have some depth behind him that's proven. Um, and, and I'm not sure that they have that necessarily, or you're going to just step in and replace a guy like Rod Johnson. But, you know, I think there are ways to move the offensive line around and, and put them in positions to succeed here, um, hanging into the season. And, you know, we'll get a taste right away because they're going to face a front in Alabama that's going to be extremely demanding right off the bat. And we'll know pretty quickly if they're ready for the big time or not. I mean, if Florida State can't protect, um, they can't protect Francois in the opener and they can't run the ball against Alabama, I think that's going to be a pretty clear indication, at least at the, uh, at the outset of, you know, what kind of offense this is going to be. Um, you, you know, this could very well be an offense that doesn't really hit its stride until later in the year. Well, and, and I, I want to be careful that we're not judging uh, any offensive line based on how well they brought, block Alabama's front. Um, that's <laughs> yeah, kind of unfair. But... You know, that's a tall task. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I think that might be the difference in the game, really, and we'll, we'll get there here in a little bit. But if if... Florida State's offensive line can't block Alabama's front with any level of effectiveness. If they can't run the ball, if they can't keep Francois upright, they're not going to win that game, Mike. Um, and that's that's pretty much, I think, the difference in the game is if they can, I think the guys around the offensive line can operate to a level they'll be able to score some points and, and keep them in that game. And, and that'll be extremely encouraging as we go down the stretch of this season. But, you know, uh, we're, we've yet to find out whether that's going to be the case or not. I want to talk about the defense real quick, and let's move over. Um, real quick, the only thing to talk about with this defense, so last year Florida State's defense ranked 10th in S&P Plus, and that's even with a, a, um, a pretty questionable September. You know, They gave up a lot of points between the Louisville, South Florida, and UNC games. But after that, I mean, they were pretty, uh, they were pretty dominant in, in a lot of different cases, so they were 10th in S&P Plus last year defensively. They bring back almost everyone, and also they bring back a healthy Derwin James uh, that they had in 2015. They did not get at all last year. This looks like a just a totally fearsome, dangerous, you know, almost impenetrable unit, Mike. How are other teams going to move the ball? Uh, they aren't. <laughs> okay, we're done here. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, good preview. All right, yeah. Yeah, good preview. Um. Yeah, I'm not – see, okay, so this is going to be interesting right off the bat in the opener. It's Jalen Hurts, who wasn't even a top seven or eight quarterback in the SEC last year, completing passes down the field more than 10 yards. How is he going to do that against a Florida State defense that is as good as you just mentioned as far as S&P 
S&P Plus is concerned. Um, plus, you have Derwin James, so you didn't have last year. you got to feel really good about your chances if you're Florida State and your defense going up against Alabama. If you find a way to slow down that running game, Bo Scarborough, uh, I, I mean, look out. This, this is a situation that could play play out extremely well for Florida State here in the opener. Make Jalen Hurts beat you with his arm. Um, as far as teams throughout the rest of the schedule, you know, that's a recipe to success throughout, throughout at least on paper. Um, you look at a team like Louisville, you'd rather Lamar Jackson be throwing the ball than running the ball. Kelly Bryant at Clemson, we don't know a ton about him yet, but you'd rather him be throwing the ball than running the ball. Um, and if that's the kind of situation, again, if, if you're Florida State and you're going to be playing against teams with quarterbacks that are better off running than throwing and you have a defense that is able to shut down the run and force these teams into passing situations, and you've got Derwin James in the back end of your secondary hunting everything down and, and being a healthy force for the first time in a couple of years, um, you know, James is considered a top two or three prospect heading into next April's NFL draft for a reason. Um, this guy's no joke at the position. He is the best defensive player in college football heading into the season. Um, and, you know, if he stays healthy, I, you know, the sky's the limit for this defensive unit. I mean, you saw how badly they missed him last year, especially in the in the first month or month and a half or so. Once they hit mid-October, they started to figure things out without him. But having him back in the fold just makes them that much better. And are our team's going to move the ball? Uh, not well. Uh, this is basically a unit from from front to back as as far as like an 11 man unit defensively that really matches up with Alabama extremely well and I'm not sure there's another defense in college football other than Alabama that can match up against opposing offenses the way that Florida State's can I mean this this defense is absolutely loaded and should be one of the best in college football if not the best heading into the fall I think that's the thing that can't be emphasized enough here, Mike, is not only does this unit have some pretty crazy top-end talent with guys like Matthew Thomas, like Derwin James, uh, Josh Sweat, Derek Nandi, guys like that, but they're also incredibly deep. I mean, this, this unit has experience and depth and talent, several guys deep at every position. Um, this has all the makings for a, a remarkable and, and impenetrable defense. I think they've got what it takes to be the number one defense in the country this year. I don't know if they'll end up that way. There's obviously some other very, very good defenses, even just within the ACC. But um, this unit looks just, just you know, passes the eye test for sure in terms of, of do they have what it takes to uh, to keep this team in, in a game against anybody and um, and give anybody a lot of problems in terms of, of how to move the ball and how to score points and how to you know, really stay in games, even especially if the offense is able to start clicking. But like you said, I think in the opener against Alabama, and, and we'll talk schedule here in a moment, but I, the, the strategy that worked for Clemson was make Jalen Hurts beat you with his arm. I don't have a whole lot of reason at this point to think that that strategy wouldn't work again. Um, so I think that that's, that's something I'm curious to see is uh, week one against Alabama, week three against Miami, week four against NC State, you know, three of the better offenses they're going to play this year. We'll see what this defense does, if they can hold up. But right now, looking at the talent that they have and the experience that they return, I think they're in really, really good shape to do so. Yep, I agree with you. So let's take a look at the schedule now without further ado. Um, they have a cupcake in the opener against Alabama, so that, that's an easy win. Yeah. And then they go, they have a home game against UL Monroe, and that's really the one to watch. Tickets are going for 9 bucks if you want one. Yeah, be careful. Yeah, 
So $9 tickets to UL Monroe, $5 tickets to Delaware State in late November if you want to go to that as well. So two games, 14 bucks, quite the package. And, um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's their schedule, right? <laughs> Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there is that little uh, little side note, footnote game they have in the first week against Alabama. And then uh, week three, they've got another just – Casual Saturday evening against Miami. Uh, they'll be hosting at Doak Campbell. Um, that's a, that's starting the season off with a bang, Mike. And um, you, you gotta kind of hope that if I think we learn a lot about this team between those two games. Um, I think if they beat Alabama and beat Miami, especially if they're able to beat Miami by a couple of scores, I mean, I think that you might be kind of watching this team blossom into a, a number one team in the country type. Plus uh, we like don't we have from Florida State a few years ago. Plus we don't have to hear about the Miami's back talk anymore. The U will officially not be back if they can't beat Florida State in week three. So we'll we'll have the, the Miami, you know, is the U back O meter, uh, and we'll we'll be keeping an eye on that, especially early in the year as they play Florida State. Not to be met not to be confused with the Miami ticket reader, which we got that going too. <laughs> well, this will be fun. Yeah. Um should I give like an actual look at the schedule now? So we probably should. Yeah. So you mentioned Alabama, Miami, two out of the first three weeks. Um, Alabama neutral site, Miami at home in week three. UL Monroe, they should win by you know a couple hundred touchdowns in week two. NC State week four. You got Louisville in October at home. You're on the road to Clemson in November. Yo, this is not an easy slate for Florida State at all. I mean, we're talking about a team that's going to compete for not only the Atlantic Division title, but a college football playoff. Uh, prove it. it that's kind of that's kind of where we're at with this schedule. Uh, prove it. You've got two ranked teams in the first three weeks, a really underrated NC State game, uh, NC State team in week four. You've got two road games right after that, Wake Forest and Duke. Florida State should handle both of those teams before having a home tilt against Louisville, which I think low-key is Florida State's biggest game of the year outside of Alabama because you look at this Louisville game and what Louisville did to them last year, Florida State has that one circled, and they're not going to let the Cardinals get away with beating them by, like, 11-7 again. <laughs> you know, that was so ugly last year. I, it's just... I, that was know. a happy memory for me. Yeah, that... That that defied point spreads. That that was like an unbelievable game for betters across the country, or it was a really sad day, uh, one of the two. But um, yeah, so Alabama and Miami tough games. Louisville tough game. NC State tough game. Clemson tough game. Um, on the road at BC on a Friday night in late October. That game, um, yeah, that could be a little tough I'm going to be honest with you I mean you're going and facing Boston College on the road really good defense strong front seven your offensive line better have things figured out by then because <laughs> I mean if they don't I mean they, they likely already have three losses if the offensive line is not figured out by then but that Boston College game could be a sneaky little trap game coming out of that Louisville matchup six days earlier uh, that is a really tough turnaround to have Louisville at home then have to go up to chestnut hill just six days later and play boston college on a friday night that's an interesting little scheduling quirk to watch but after that the obvious game to take a look at on the road to clemson 
before closing out the year um, later in November on the road against Florida. Really tough schedule for Florida State. I'm I'm picking them to win the Atlantic. I don't know what their record's going to be. I, it's got to be at least ten. We we said Clemson would be ten to. I said Clemson would be ten to. So I think Florida State's also ten and two. I don't want to pretend like I know what games they're going to lose, but I think Florida State can get to ten and two if they beat Clemson and get to the ACC championship game. I think they have a great chance to still go to a college football playoff with two losses. Um, depending now with a caveat, depending on who the team they're playing in the coastal is if this is a coastal team that has three losses you know the strength of schedule your conference championship kind of goes out the window it's like okay great you're playing a three or four loss team out of the coastal division but if you're florida state you lose a game to like alabama and then you lose a game to say miami and say you lose two out of the first three weeks but then you blow out nc state you you beat louisville handily you beat clemson on the road and all of a sudden you're a two-loss team, you, you go on the road at Florida at the end of the year, Florida should be good um, in that SEC East. At the very least, they, they should be a player in the SEC East, you would hope. I mean, who isn't? Who isn't, yeah, I know. Strap up. Anyway, so, okay, so say Florida State loses two games, and say it's two out of the first three weeks, say they lose to Alabama and for the love of God, I hope they don't lose to Miami. But say it's Miami, and say Florida State's lost those two games, but they they win out. They're a two-loss team. They go to the ACC championship game. Say it's a rematch with Miami. They beat Miami. And now you're looking at two-loss Florida State with losses to, you know, one of the best teams in the ACC and Alabama, who could be the best team in the country. Then I think you're in a serious discussion here with Florida State with two losses, depending on what's going on in the Big 12, which is the big wild card. You're looking at a team in Florida State who could still sneak into the college football playoff with two losses. I'm going to go ten and two because I don't, I don't know. I I think they could lose on the road at Clemson. I I think they could lose in the opener to Alabama. I think they'll beat Miami, but I don't want to say eleven and one. That's too mainstream. So I'm going to go with ten and two, and we'll just see what happens. I think I'll probably sit on ten and two as well. Just because of the, the the difficulty of this schedule, but frankly, Mike, I, I don't see a game on this schedule that Florida State can't win, or, or sh- in my mind, even maybe shouldn't win. Yeah, I agree they're with you. Touch- they're a touchdown underdog versus Alabama, and we'll get we're going to get into our Week One preview at some point here in the next few days. But I think I like Florida State to beat Alabama in Week One. I mean, I think that's a good time to be getting Alabama, given what Florida State brings back. I mean, Miami is, is going to be dangerous, and so with some of the unknowns about Florida State, there's definitely a chance that they could lose that, but they've got that at home. Part of what I look at is look at the road schedule, Mike. So you've got neutral site game against Alabama, and then you've got at Wake Forest, at Duke, at Boston College, at Clemson, at Florida. And so it gets really tough at the end with a couple of really tough road games, but by then you should be pretty, uh, pretty set with what you're doing on offense. The defense should be in full swing if they're not too beat up. I don't know that I'm ever going to be a believer in Florida until I see them back to where Urban Meyer had them, basically. Um, I, I think that they've been somewhat phony under Jim McElwain, even though they've been winning the East every year. So I, I fully believe that Florida State can and should win that game. Um, the road game to Clemson is going to be tough, and I, I think that Bill C's, uh, his S&P Plus projects that as a toss-up. You know, Florida State has like a 52% chance of winning in Death Valley there, according to S&P Plus. 
I think that sounds about right. I, I would pretty much flip a coin and pick a, a winner based on that. But other than that, I mean, the, the scenario that you mentioned is very interesting. Is if Florida State's 11-2 and conference champions and they haven't lost since Miami, say they lose to Alabama and Miami and then they run the table from there, I think they're a playoff team. I think the schedule is tough enough, and they're going to have the the um, marquee wins on there enough. You know, the, the win against Louisville, a win against Clemson, a win against Florida, a win against Miami, theoretically in the ACC championship game. A win against NC State that could be low-key big as well. I mean, if NC State's as good as we think they could be. If NC State is your fifth best win on this schedule, you're doing just fine. You should um, be in. Yeah, so Florida State has stacked this schedule in a remarkably difficult fashion that I think 10-2 and two is a reasonable projection that they're going to drop 1-2 to two somewhere in here. But, I mean, I'm not going to take 12-0 and 0 totally off the table. Um, I, I'm kind of tempted to pick 11-1, and 1, but I am nervous about how, how tough this schedule is, especially right out of the gate. And with some of the things that we just don't have answers to questions on as it re- relates to this team. So I'm going to go 10-2 and two as well. Um, but uh, with the, the caveat that I think that they could be, you know, this could be a, a really, really good Florida State team that ends up undefeated despite, you know, a, a really, really difficult schedule. Maybe I'm too optimistic here. I don't know. But, yeah, I think I'm going to go with 10-2 and two and feel good about it. And I don't know. Mike, do you know what the over-under is on Florida, Florida State wins? I don't know. What do you think? Like nine and a half? Nine and a half might be low. Ten and a half? I'm not sure. Ten and a half probably sounds right. I mean, ten and a half. Over I think. Over or under ten and a half. I think I'm. I think I'd go under. I think I'd go under. I, I'd stay away from it in all honesty, but I think I'd go under if you know, gun to my head. Let's see. I'm looking this up now. Um, if I had to go, let's see. Florida State at ten and a half wins. Hmm. It's hard to go, go over. over. Yeah. You know you know why it's hard to go over, Joey? Because you get Alabama in the opener, and then you have to go on the road to Clemson. And those two games alone is enough for me to say under, because if they lose both, you're done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, they're perfectly capable of dropping both of those games. And really, I, I mean, in all reality, this Alabama game, for from for all of the college football fans, this is a great game to watch opening weekend. But grand scheme, this game doesn't really matter. Um. Because you look at both of these teams, uh, you can overcome a loss in the opener when you're playing the number one team or the number three team in the country, depending on what side you're on. Um, this game, from their standpoint, really doesn't matter. You just want to make a statement saying, hey, we're here. You know, we're one of the best teams in the country. So unless, you know, one of these two teams, Florida State or Alabama, comes out and blows out the other, which I'm definitely not expecting to happen, um, you know, that's when we get into the conversation of, wow, that's that's a game we can all overreact to. We always have the week one games we can overreact to. And I think if one team blows out the other, that's the one we're going to look back on and be like, oh, my God, we overreacted to this team. If, say, Alabama gets blown out in the opener that wins the national championship like three or four months later, it's like, okay, well, you know, we should have known better. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think you go under on 10.5 just because they do have Alabama neutral site and they're on the road to Clemson. And they do have NC State and Miami and Louisville's on the schedule and Florida's a rivalry game. You just never know. Too many elements. I'm going under. I think Florida State's going to be really freaking good, though. Uh, this is They're my Atlantic Division pick. I don't want to – spoiler alert. 
Um, but this team is going to be really freaking good this year. Mike, I found an article from June 19th putting Florida State's win total at 9.5. Over, 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 over. All right, so you're thinking over. 10 wins then. Over. I'm thinking t- I'm square on 10. I, I'd have a hard time seeing them lose three. Um, even with this tough schedule. Even with the tough schedule. I mean, at 9.5 is interesting, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick firm on 10. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the 9.5, 10.5 win range is – basically the sweet spot i'm gonna stick right there at 10 i think that's i think that makes sense yeah i think i would go over nine and a half if i had to bet it but like you said i mean if if given my free will i'm i'm not betting that Um, yeah there's there's too much that could go wrong either way um but assuming everybody stays healthy and everybody does what i think they're gonna do i'd feel much better about 10 or more wins than i would about nine or less for this team but there are a couple of single point of failures in there, such as a Francois injury or something like that, that could totally derail the thing really quickly. Right. But assuming everybody's healthy, I mean, you do get your toughest games at home. If you're Florida state, um, aside from the neutral side against Bama, um, you know, Miami, Louisville, you know, they're both at home. Um, NC state, that's going to be a tough game. That's at home. So really you're just looking at the quirky road game against BC and then a quirky road game, at Clemson, and if you're Florida State, you should handle Florida at the end of the year, I would think. Um, but you know, who's to say? I mean, you go into the swamp; it's always a tough game. Well, we will find out, Mike. But um, anything else here before we wrap up Florida State and thus all of our team previews? Think we're good. We got a whole season preview that we're going to churn out here we got a week one preview we're going to churn out here so a lot of podcasts coming this week it's getting real mike it's about that time there was even some like fake college football on this weekend i don't know if you got to watch any of that uh i saw byu and saw what stanford did to rice that was unfortunate i mean the hurricane was was, criminal the hurricane was enough for the state of texas and then they had to watch rice lose by like 100 points yeah, that was that was pretty brutal. Was that in um, poor taste? You're in Houston. Was that in poor taste? That might have been poor taste. No, no. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're on Rice's team and you you're sitting there suffering a 70 point loss overseas and then coming back and you can't actually go home because your uh, your home is inaccessible, no, that's that's pretty brutal for them. That sucks. Rice um, is on the sideline. They'd rather be in a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, uh, that's that's a that's a tough situation for them to be in. They're actually, for what it's worth, I think they're camped out up at TCU, if I remember correctly, up in the DFW area. So good for um, TCU for yeah. helping them out. That's that's big time. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. No, so they're they're taken care of. They're all good. Um, for those who aren't aware, I, I do live in Houston, and uh, luckily my my wife and I and our family and her parents have not really been affected by this. Um, we haven't had any damage or anything, so all good on our end. We're all safe. We're dry. Obviously, we're recording a podcast um, through all the flooding, so um, no issues on our end. We're all good, but uh, we've been extremely, extremely fortunate relative to a lot of the other folks in town. So, um, you know, please continue sending thoughts and prayers and uh, and any help that you're able to provide to the folks around here, because uh, there are some parts of town that have it really, really bad right now. Um, as I record this here Monday night. Um, basically two days into some pretty massive flooding um so um but yes we are okay and the show will continue to go on as long as um everything is good on our end but um yeah there's some folks down here that have it pretty bad so um 
it's, it's going to take a little while to get all this fixed and all this uh, uh, sorted out and get things back to normal for a lot of people down here. It's good news that you're good and your family's good and Calvin, the new puppy's good and your wife's parents and their dogs are good and the pictures are unbelievable of Houston right now. I mean, this is a situation that's going to take years to kind of come back from um, as a city as far as, you know, what the downtown looks like. And you know better than me, but looking at the pictures, it's really been unbelievable. So this is a once in a thousand year storm and it seems like they've Houston keeps getting hit with crazy rainfall um this is the second time in the last few years anyway that this has happened and obviously the first time nothing to this magnitude or this extent but hopefully you know things improve there I know a lot of help is being sent that way and you know it's a matter of the rain stopping and trying to clean up and people trying to rebuild their lives after this really crazy stuff there. So yeah, thoughts and prayers to everybody. Seriously, tough situation. Yeah. For what it's worth, this is being easily classified as a 500 year flood. And maybe to make that worse, it's the second 500 year flood in 20 years. So I don't know if we need to check the math on that or or what, but um, clearly there've been a lot of flooding. This is like the fourth major flooding issue that I've seen since I've been here in the last uh, about three and a half years. So yeah, it, it's another one, and it's brutal, but, um, you know, again, thoughts and prayers to all those out, you know, out and about here in the city that I live in, and um, I, I look forward to supporting in, in the, the rebuild and the help, you know, that a lot of folks need around here right now. And we just hope that it improves, Joey. Just hope that it improves and the rain finally stops. So the end, the end is near, hopefully. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. I think the end is near. Yeah, I think we're about 24 hours out. So hopefully by the time you guys are listening to this, the rain has stopped and the, the flooding starts to uh, subside a little bit. But again, you know, time will only tell. But in any case, Mike, that's a, a good little book into our Florida State preview. Uh, we got to get out of here. We've got, again, a full conference preview and a week one preview that we got to record. So we will come back and do that soon. But in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRSJoey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, I think, or you can definitely find us on the Overcast app. There's podcast places where you should go rate and review and do all those good things and hit the, hit the subscribe button, all that. Uh, and Mike, where else can they find us in the social medias? Facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there. You guys are doing awesome. So keep listening, keep reviewing, keep rating our podcast. Absolutely. And we really, really appreciate it for those who have. Uh, but Mike, this has been fun previewing all of these teams. It's about time to look at the conference as a whole and then talk about actual football. Uh, so do you want to come back and do this again soon? Yes, we're finally getting into what we've all been waiting for all summer, week one. Hell yeah, let's do it. All right, well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening, and until next time, go ACC.